The information presented in this podcast is of a general nature and is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. It should never be used as a substitute for mental care, medical care, prevention, diagnosis, counseling, treatment, or other services. Always consult a mental health professional before engaging in any activities discussed in this podcast. Thank you for listening. Have you ever wished for magical powers? Do you still await your Hogwarts acceptance letter? Well, welcome to Hogwarts. You are magical. And this is your invitation to join us in exploring the psychology behind the most magical series, Harry Potter. Welcome to Harry Potter Therapy. Hello, all you magical people out there, and thank you so much for tuning in to Harry Potter Therapy. I'm your host, Dustin McGinnis. I'm a musician, filmmaker, and all-around fanboy. And I'm Dr. Janina Scarlett. I'm a clinical psychologist, author, and a full-time witch. Yeah. So today is the last chapter of the Chamber of Secrets. It's Chapter 18, Dobby's Reward. After Harry, Ron, Ginny, and Lockhart are safe from the Chamber of Secrets, they return to Professor McGonagall's office. Ginny is immediately engulfed by Molly and Arthur Weasley, who were extremely worried for their daughter's safety. Seeing their daughter injured, almost dead, and learning that their daughter was manipulated by Voldemort must have been really traumatic for them. How does the trauma of someone affect their loved ones, and could it result in similar struggles? Absolutely. As we know, Arthur and Molly were in the Order of the Phoenix. They have faced Voldemort and the Death Eaters before. And now, realizing that their own daughter was kidnapped, physically assaulted, and had been manipulated for a year, which could have resulted in their death, I imagine was devastating. We know that Molly fears for her children's safety. She has nightmares about something happening to her kids. She even has a clock that indicates if anything happens to any of her children, if anybody is experiencing some kind of mortal peril. And I imagine that realizing that their daughter went through this kind of abuse was probably really traumatizing. A lot of times people might understand that somebody who experienced abuse or assault might be traumatized by this, but they might not think about the repercussions to their family. And in fact, family members of trauma survivors can be just as affected and sometimes even more affected than the trauma survivors often blaming themselves for not being able to prevent it. Yeah, that's really interesting. I often thought about whether someone could get PTSD from someone else's trauma. They can. You actually see it happening in a lot of parents whose children experience abuse, who then blame themselves for not seeing the signs. And if you think about Arthur Weasley, for example, he was standing right next to Ginny when Lucius Malfoy stuck the diary in Ginny's cauldron. We don't know how he felt, but I imagine that he's probably really hard on himself about not having seen the signs. I imagine Molly was absolutely mortified, and I imagine that after this, her anxiety about something happening to her children becomes a lot stronger. We learn later that her biggest fear, her biggest boggart, takes shape of something happening to her children. 
And we know that this is her absolute worst nightmare. And I imagine that right now she probably feels like it's coming true. Yeah. Well, what do you think it is like for Ginny to have her parents know how she was hurt and then Dumbledore immediately sending her to the hospital wing for some care? I imagine that she's probably flooded with a number of different emotions. If we're thinking of Jenny as a trauma survivor, right? As somebody who experienced manipulation and abuse, then she probably had been thinking that if she came out to her parents in terms of letting her parents know about what she was going through, people would reject her and blame her and punish her for killing the roosters and writing the messages and the blood. And to realize that people are worried about her, that people love her, that people protect her, and also to realize that Dumbledore had completely forgiven her, that he's not at all mad at her. And in fact, he just wants to make sure that she's safe and he is just sending her to get some physical and medical support to the hospital wing. I imagine also probably feels like relief and sadness and vulnerability and a lot of emotions in one. Unfortunately, a lot of survivors, especially children, survivors of abuse, often think that they're doing something wrong and might then be really surprised to realize that nobody's mad at them. People are only mad at the perpetrator and that the child themselves might be, hopefully, as in this instance, treated with love and kindness. So after Harry explains what happened, the whole situation with Tom Riddle and the Chamber of Secrets and the Basilisk and Lockhart and the whole thing, Dumbledore remembers Tom and says that Tom was a handsome kind of boy when he attended Hogwarts. And Dumbledore also mentions that when Tom returned from various travels to learn dark magic and whatever, he was unrecognizable. What does it say about the power of charisma? and how likable perpetrators are to those who know them. Well, unfortunately, in a lot of instances, perpetrators might be very charming, very kind, and win over the affections of their friends and their circles, who then might defend that person's actions. It is for that reason that a lot of times when somebody brings forth some information as to how somebody might have hurt them, manipulated them, or perpetrated against them, a lot of times the family members, the supporters of the perpetrator will jump in and say, oh, but he's such a nice guy, right? You hear this over and over again. There's no way this person could have done this terrible thing because he's done so many things. That's not to say the perpetrators are only men. Perpetrators can be people of any gender, just as the survivors of abuse can be people of any gender. Unfortunately, I think that a lot of times people who crave power the way Voldemort does really use their manipulation skills to win people to their side. And unfortunately, a lot of times people who are in their circle are blinded by this manipulation and might not be able to see through the facade about how toxic and dangerous this individual might be. When Harry is explaining all this to Dumbledore, he also tells Dumbledore something that he was really concerned about. Harry was really concerned by something that Tom had told him. Tom said Harry is remarkably like himself. This idea revolted Harry. The thought of being anything like Voldemort, the murderer of his parents, must have been very difficult. 
Dumbledore explains that when Voldemort tried to kill Harry, he passed on some characteristics onto him. Parcel tongue, ambition, and a little disregard for authority. I sense that something is troubling you. Am I right, Harry? It's just... You see, sir, I, I couldn't help but notice certain things, certain, certain similarities between Tom Riddle and me. I see. Well, you can speak parcel tongue, Harry. Why? Because Lord Voldemort can speak parcel tongue. If I'm not mistaken, Harry, he transferred some of his powers to you the night he gave you that scar. Voldemort transferred some of his powers to me. Not intentionally, but yes. So the sorting hat was right. I should be in Slytherin. It's true, Harry. You possess many of the qualities that Voldemort himself prizes. Determination, resourcefulness, and if I may say so, a certain disregard for the rules. Why then did the sorting hat place you in Gryffindor? Because I asked it to. Exactly, Harry, exactly. Which makes you different from Voldemort. It is not our abilities that show what we truly are. It is our choices. What do you think about this wonderful line? I think we all have the capability for good and evil. We all have the capacity to change the world for better or worse. And just because we have a capability to do something bad doesn't mean we're going to use it. And similarly, just because we have the capability for doing something good doesn't mean that we're going to do it. It's the choices that we make that determine the kind of person that we are. And it's true. In Harry's case, him being a parcel tongue doesn't mean that he has to become a death eater. And even if he had been in Slytherin, it doesn't mean that he has to become as narrow-minded and prejudiced as a lot of purebloods are. And so I think that for him, it's recognizing what he stands for and the kind of person that he wants to be, remembering that he cares about helping people. And even though there are some similarities between him and Voldemort, he, Harry, gets to make his own decisions. Yeah, I, I think it's just beautiful. Lots of things come down to just choices. It took Harry and Ginny almost dying to get Hagrid out of Azkaban. Even though there was no proof or trial that got him locked up there in the first place. And now, Mr. Weasley, if you would, have an owl deliver these release papers to Azkaban. I believe we, we want our gamekeeper back. This would not have happened if he was rich as, say, Lucius Malfoy. What does this say about classism in the magical world and our own, really? Again, I think it's unfortunately this representation of what's going on, some of the really unfair classism trials that a lot of people go through, where an individual from a poor family or especially a person of color, for example, persons that might be, let's say, black or indigenous, 
or an immigrant, for example, might be more likely to be arrested on a suspicion of a crime. And if they don't have the money to post bail, then they might be in jail for sometimes months or, or longer before their trial. Whereas somebody like Lucius Malfoy would not only have the most expensive lawyer, but probably wouldn't be arrested in the first place because of how much influence he has. And again, it shows the completely unfair treatment between people of different classes and, yeah. and also of different races because Tagrid is half giant. And I'm wondering if there's any kind of prejudice going on here to where he is not only from a lower class, but he is also half giant. And I'm wondering if there's any kind of discrimination that makes it more likely for him to get arrested mm -hmm. and sent to Azkaban. Yeah. I mean, it's so unfair after the rumor of Ginny Weasley's death circulated the magical world, Hogwarts board members approached Dumbledore and told him that Lucius Malfoy threatened them and manipulated them and forced them to make Dumbledore leave. So, it's true, you have returned. When the governors learned that Arthur Weasley's daughter was taken into the chamber, they saw fit to summon me back. Ridiculous. Curiously, Lucius, Several of them were under the impression that you would cast their families if they did not agree to suspend me in the first place. How dare you? I beg your pardon. My sole concern has always been and will always be the welfare of this school and, of course, its students. There are witnesses, and these are influential witnesses, and Lucius Malfoy still gets away with it. Why do wealthy people get away with so much, even when people know that they are guilty? Exactly, exactly. And it's so, what a powerful scene, right? And it's so infuriating to read this part again, especially given everything going on in the world, everything that's been going on in the world. But perhaps we're more aware of it now where yet again we see this blatant lie that Malfoy engaged in. We see all this manipulation and all of these illegal actions that he had taken. And despite the fact that there are credible witnesses in this situation to provide evidence that he is guilty of this crime, he is still not even arrested, let alone tried. I know it's disgusting. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, we could we could even see that right now with say Brianna Taylor. They're still out there. To this day, Brianna <laughs> Taylor's murderers are still out there, and they still have not been arrested. They have not been tried. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, it is infuriating. So it turns out that Dobby is the Malfoy's house elf. He is their slave. He was trying to tell Harry all along, but he couldn't outright betray his master. Even though they constantly mistreated Dobby, they punished him, beat him, kicked him. Come, Dobby. We're leaving. <laughs> Dobby still was willing to protect Harry and even points out that Lucius Malfoy put the diary in Ginny Weasley's cauldron. Although Dobby is loyal to the Malfoys, he's more loyal to Harry Potter and being good. What does this say of Dobby's character and core values? Dobby is somebody who's been through so much that I think he's grown used to physical pain and he knows that there are greater things 
than him. He believes in Harry. He believes in the revolution. He believes in standing up against the likes of Malfoy and the likes of Voldemort. And even though he prides himself on his loyalty to the family that he's a part of, the family that he's really slave to, as you said, he prides himself more on being Harry's friend. Harry was the first wizard that treated him like an equal, which is actually really heartbreaking, considering that most wizards treat elves like slaves without any kind of rights, without any kind of empathy or compassion. And so I think it shows a lot of courage that Dobby was able to stand up to Malfoy and protect Harry and even push Malfoy with magic to be able to protect Harry Potter. I think that if he was sorted into Hogwarts, I think that Dobby would be a Gryffindor. He would hold the sword of Gryffindor. He would hold the sword Because he Gryffindor. is a loyal little guy too. It would take a true Gryffindor to pull that out of the hat. And, and very courageous. <laughs> yeah. Hufflepuffs are loyal and Gryffindors are very courageous. And I think he would do good in every house. Yes. So at the end, Harry does something really cool. He ends up wrapping the diary in his crusty, slimy sock, and he hands it to Malfoy. Malfoy takes the sock off and throws it at Dobby and essentially frees him. Mr. Malfoy. Mr. Malfoy. I have something of yours. Mine? I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, I think you do, sir. I think you slipped the diary into Ginny Weasley's cauldron that day at Diagon Alley. You do? Do you? Why don't you prove it? Come, Dobby. Open it. Dobby? Master has given Dobby a sock. What? I didn't... Master has presented Dobby with clothes. Dobby is free. This is a brilliant tactic to save Dobby from abuse and slavery. To thank him, Dobby stands up to Malfoy and protects Harry with a powerful magic that blasts Malfoy down the stairs. You lost me, my servant! He also commands Malfoy to leave. And I mean, he commands his ex-master like a boss. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know how powerful house elves are and how the power of confidence can do amazing things like this? It's incredible to see that. It's incredible to see somebody who was the underdog for so long, somebody who was abused and victimized for so long, stand up not just for himself, but for his friend. And I think that this shows true courage. And as a reader, I was applauding out loud because it was so great to see Dobby doing this, to see him stand up to his perpetrator, somebody that abused him for we don't even know how many years. And so I think whenever we see somebody who had been abused in this way stand up to their perpetrator, it's a really empowering moment. And I'm hoping more and more survivors of trauma will be able to stand up and face the people that hurt them and say no more. Harry Potter free Dobby. How can Dobby ever repay him? 
Just promise me something. Anything, sir. Never try to save my life again. Since this is the end of this book, was there anything that really stood out for you? Or do you have any last thoughts? It was really powerful how much this book reminded me of the Holocaust and how much it reminded me of both modern and past racism and how people are drawing disgusting messages or symbols just to hurt other people, to intimidate other people, believing that they're somehow different from other people if they either come from a different race or a different class or have a different background in any way. And it was really powerful to see some of these similarities. This book came out in, what, 99, I think, or 98, and, and seeing how it really holds up 22 years later. And I imagine that, unfortunately, these particular themes are something that we're likely to see for a long time. And I'm hoping that we'll also learn from this book and also from what's going on right now for what has been going on for hundreds and if not thousands of years so that we can once and for all stand up against racism and prejudice, misogyny, etc., and be able to recognize that we're all the same. We're all human beings. We're all humankind and be able to support one another. And to me, that is the theme of this book. Yeah, it is a beautiful book. I love it. Even at the end, Dobby's free. It's freedom. <laughs> you know, it's an amazing book, and we're so happy and thrilled that you join us on this journey. We will be returning with the third book at the beginning of The Prisoner of Azkaban. I can't wait. That's one of my favorite books to read. Um, Mine too. It's it's a lot of fun, <laughs> and we're just so happy to have you guys with us. We're going to go ahead and end this episode and this book, The Chamber of Secrets is no more again my name is dustin mcginnis you can find me on twitter at the valiant geek and i'm dr janina scarlett you can find me on twitter at shadow quill or dr janina scarlett official thank you so much for joining us on harry potter therapy season two chamber of secrets have a great day everybody